0: Alright, so we start with a question. What exactly is James talking about? What's he talking about? This He's talking about the tongue. The tongue. You know, and, and really it's probably clear to, to most of us that he's talking about words, not the actual uh, member of our body, the muscle in our mouths. If we think about this and we think, well, if, we, if we, only we could we would lose our, our tongue, if we were unable to speak, maybe that would solve all of our problems but we know that's that's not really the case it's not actually the tongue that is doing all the damage but that's how he's referring to it just uh, as a as a picture when our son was i don't know probably four or so i don't know you know how when you get older and you become a grandparent <sighs> sorry just had to throw that in uh, ages of your children and the stories that you've always told are kind of murky. Like, I don't know, he could have been 12. I don't know. I'd say he was probably four, though. Um, but he, <laughs> because I know uh, that he was, he was speaking, but he had trouble speaking. And this is because he was partially tongue-tied. And if you, if you look this up, as I did, this is the official uh, understanding of, of being tongue-tied, is that there is a tight band of tissue called the lingual frenulum, if you can say that better than me, uh, which tethers the bottom of the tongue's tip to the floor of the mouth. And so this was our son Tyler's case. It was kind of this little uh, lingual frenulum was kind of like uh, too far up to the tip of his tongue, and so he, he couldn't quite stick his tongue out, had trouble saying some words. And so we were, you know, concerned about this. How do we, we help this? And realizing, okay, look it up. Uh, just have to take him to the doctor, and, and they'll kind of fix that for you. But before we were able to do that, our son was uh, at one time. It was just before Christmas, and we were doing some Christmas wrapping and everything. And he grabbed one of the tubes of the Christmas wrapping, right? And he was running around, kind of blowing it. Like a, uh, Randy over there knows, this is not going to be a good. This is going to be kind of gross. Anyways, close your ears if you don't like anything uh, involving blood. But this is what happened. He stuck his tongue in there, was you know blowing the trumpet, and running around the house. Ran into a wall. Bam just like that, and took it out, started crying, blood, and then we looked, and sure enough, he had done the doctor's work. (laughs) And he had torn the the lingual frenulum uh, in such a way that suddenly his tongue was free. And uh, we were so happy all about that. (laughs) But we've heard it from when we were little, talking about The tongue and how, you know, this is the instrument that how we are able to form words and use words. And we've heard it when people have said, or or parents have said, you know, watch your mouth or watch your tongue. If someone is unusually quiet, we say, what's the matter? Cat got your tongue? And curious as I am, I, I looked it up I was like, what is with the cat and, and the tongue? And why, why is this a, a thing? You know, the English language or you know, what we use is, is strange. And I looked it up and miraculously, like, unbelievably, the internet had no answer. <laughs> there's no reason. There's speculation, you know, some guy, some king, you know, cut off people's tongues and maybe fed them to cats. But otherwise, there's nothing that is proven why we say that. But we do. Some was quiet, the cat got your tongue. Weird, right? No one knows why. Now, how many of you, when you were kids and you got a little bit, uh, you know, sassy or used some bad language, had your mouth washed out with soap? How, how many of you? Raise, raise it high. Be, be proud, you have clean mouth people. Okay, so uh, 27%, that's pretty low. <laughs> I thought it would be higher. Thought I'd be higher? Okay, so of those of you who raised your hands there, this is for the, you know, the teaching of, of young parents that are here. How many of you, if you raised your hand said, that was actually really helpful? <laughs> How many of you said, that was good? I'm glad, I'm glad. I, they're a little lower, a little lower percentage. All right, this, this is a thing. So, I don't know. I guess if you were a new parent, maybe talk to those who raised their hand and say, what exactly about it was it that was so helpful? Uh, was it, you know, was it Irish Spring? Um, what kind of soap exactly was it that had the miracle answer? I don't know. Uh, I don't think I ever had that, that experience. I don't think I ever had my mouth washed out with soap. Um, I did remember one time when I said a bad word in school, and I went home, and I was like a pretty sensitive, like innocent kid. <clears throat> and, I, and I told my, my mom, like I remember clearly, she was washing dishes and I had such conviction of the Holy Spirit that I had said some, you know, barnyard term. And I went to her and I said, Mom, this is what I did. <laughs> and I think she kind of tried to hide her laughter and then she said, just, just confess it to Jesus and uh, he will forgive you. And I felt better. But, why did I say that? I don't even know why I said that. (laughs) See, here's the thing about words. You have to stick to your notes. All right. so James, we get back to that. He uses this term, the tongue. And what is he talking about? Obviously, for clarity, but also in our context today. He's talking about words that are spoken. And also, we'll add this for today for our conversation. Context in our culture that I think he would approve of because it is the same the words that are typed The words that are emailed words that are messaged posted You get it Those are words as well. Those are things that come from the tongue So he gives some clear instruction on the significance of our words four points on this today and then some application So first of all, uh, as I've called this first point, to whom much is given. We'll refer to that, that's the words of Jesus. But he gives a warning to those who would teach in verse 1 and 2. Not many of you should be teachers. Now, it's important to realize that James is in fact speaking of Christian doctrine being taught. Not school teachers, as important as that is, or those who would teach a a spin class, or salsa dancing, or small engine repair. As much as those things are important, and potentially could cause damage, (laughs) specifically, James is speaking of those who would teach doctrine, Christian teaching. There is eternity at stake. We can't get this wrong. And we see throughout the apostles' writings, how this term of receiving is important because it's the reception of the teaching, of the transmission of the gospel. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for what we received from the Lord, for what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you. So I've received the teaching, and now I pass it on to you. And that is, that is the role of the church, role of the teachers in the church is to receive it, to pass it on. Luke 12, verse 48, these words of Jesus: Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And that's that is a reality. That is a heavy thing. What you have received, and it isn't just as far as even the, the transmission of the gospel, that's important, but altogether, there's resources that you have. You have much. And so Much will be demanded, expected of you. Words carry power to the learner. You can be easily misled. Now apparently in the church that that James is writing to, there was either false teachers, those who were eager for money, for power. They had other bad motives. Even to be a, a popular speaker... Because that, that brought some credibility, some reputation. Now, if it's popular to be a teacher of the Word, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know if there has been a more, I, I don't want to say frightening or scared, because it's not like we're scared to open our mouths and teach. But in this day and age that we live in today, our words go farther than they've ever gone before. So we have to be careful what we preach because right now it's being live streamed. Anyone, anywhere in the world is watching this. It goes far. We have to be careful what we post, what we tweet. Every time when we we record something and we press the upload button, it's out there. And so this is a hefty warning for us today. Be careful. He says, not many of you should be teachers. But listen, while that might put some, a bit of, you know, concern and caution in us, which it should, know this, that we also need some. And we need more of them today. We need teachers. Not many, but some. (laughs) Because it is a spiritual gift. It's clear throughout the Word. Those have received Who have received the gift of teaching should teach it's necessary for the church it's included in the great commission we are to go to make disciples to baptize to teach it's clear the teaching ministry is vital for accurate christian doctrine paul tells timothy study study to show yourself approved be diligent we also have to know there will be higher accountability because you're causing people to believe in what you say and this impacts their life. So we enter into it sincerely and we understand the seriousness of it. There's a common saying, and, and I don't know, I wrestle with it sometimes, but it's, it's like if you, if you feel that you want to be a preacher or a teacher of Christian truth, um, do whatever you can other than that. Or some effect like that. Just, it, It's a heavy calling. It's a heavy task. If there's something else you can do, do that. And, and I, I don't know, I think maybe there's people that are hearing that or are running from it, like Jonah. If you've been called to teach, if you've been called to preach, be faithful in it. But consider the seriousness of the task. James says in verse 2, he says, we all stumble. He's including himself in this. We all stumble. So beyond just the teachers, okay, they have a higher, there's a higher strictness, higher accountability, higher judgment coming the way for teachers. But he says, we all stumble. In many ways. We get tripped up. He's not saying we all fall away. We're all going to fall away. He says, no, we just get tripped up. We stumble. Our mouths start running. We make mistakes. Something comes out and we just can't reel it back in. You know what I'm talking about. There's something that maybe you're thinking about right now and you're like, oh, I can't believe I said that. can't believe that that came out of my mouth. It happens. We all stumble. He says if we can keep our mouths in check, then that person is a, is a perfect person. It's not that they are, they are blameless without any any flaw, the word "perfect" there is—it's talking about being mature, being complete. You've matured in your faith. If you can actually control what comes out of your mouth, you ever notice that that older people, in some cases, not all. Some are chatty, 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 but most older people—they have a wisdom about them. They've got some life learning. They've stumbled with their words before, and they've learned. And so they tend to be quieter. They hear the words that James has spoken earlier of being slow to speak, quick to listen. And we can all learn that. It's part of maturity. It's part of maturing as a follower of Jesus to watch what comes out of your mouth. So then James goes on and he talks about this, this instrument, this member, this tongue that is small but mighty. He uses what would have been common metaphors in his day. He says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, gui- we guide their whole bodies as well. And he takes ships, though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a small rudder. The tongue, small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so he uses these pictures, very visual. We can understand it. True today. This tiny bit in the mouth of a horse allows you to steer it. Now this hasn't always been my experience with a horse, I will say. I recall clearly one time being on a horse that everything was going well, was responding very well to the bit in the mouth and the steering until we turned around and we going back to the barn. Then I had no control. It was hold on for dear life. But the point is made, James, there is the ability to control this, this animal with this small bit in its mouth or a small rudder on the ship allowing you to, to steer this, this large ship on water. In times of, of war, this is what I was, I was reading, that said that the enemy would, would target the rudder with their torpedoes, and so once they took out the rudder, then this, the ship was helpless. It was just spinning aimlessly in the water, dead in the water. A whole forest set ablaze by a spark. This is something, again, coming through the, the hot Alberta summer. We, we know this, we hear the stories of one cigarette butt thrown out the window, one little ember that the wind catches after our campfire, in dry brush and it ignites pictures that we can understand he says in the same way the tongue is small but powerful he goes into some pretty graphic language next it's an instrument of evil and we'll also talk a bit about how it actually can be good verse 6 the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. (laughs) Pretty strong words. See, it's more than just setting a, a forest on fire by a spark. The tongue is set on fire by hell. Gehenna, the place of judgment, eternal death. Listen, words burn people's lives down whether careless or intentional. We see this in Proverbs 26, verse 18 and 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Flaming arrows of death over something that we think, oh, it was just, just lighthearted it was just a joke i didn't mean you know and someone took it the wrong way and was careless james also says goes on to say how it's untamable verse 7 for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue i don't know if you you've probably had a pet at some point in your life where you were whether you're little or you still have one in your house and and it is fun. It is fun to try to train the pet. And hopefully you, you train it sooner than later, especially to do its business outside or in a litter box. right? Otherwise, there's probably someone in your house that is saying, why do I have this pet? <laughs> okay, that could have been me. <laughs> if, it doesn't, if it isn't trained, if it can't actually behave itself, if you've trained it, you train it to, to shake a paw, and it's fun. You train it, you know, to bark at, at strangers. And personally, I think it'd be nice if some of our dog owners in our neighborhood trained their dogs to stop barking, but that's just me. <laughs> There's things that we do. We train our animals, our pets. Of all the creatures God created, Humans have, have tamed and, and had dominion over all of them, to some degree. It's really quite remarkable. And even in, in our world where we think today, we have technology, we have all kinds of advancements in how we, we understand animals in the kingdom and everything. But it's been going on for a long time. Do you know, what, what would you say is... See how smart you are today, this is a test, okay. Um, what is the largest land animal? Largest land animal, who knows? Haley, you're like a smart person, come on, what, what is it? Largest land animal. An elephant, I, just, I knew you were smart. A male adult African elephant is 14,000 pounds, seven tons. I mean, that's probably the largest, on the largest side. Now, you would think that an elephant of that size, impossible to train, right? But no, for centuries, these elephants were used for war throughout India, Asia, in the Greek and Roman eras. Now, I was interested in this, so, of course, I read about it, and it said this, that there's this one description of these war elephants. A war elephant has different uses in war. Charging, trampling, or overwhelming the enemy ranks Battling other war elephants, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> you imagine like two war, my elephant against your elephant, and I don't know. Sieges sieges, it's a weird word when you say it like that. Tearing down walls, you know they're strong. They're going to build, tear things down. Open field warfare. In ancient times, an elephant was trained to stomp on foot soldiers, to cut them open with tusks, to grab soldiers or horses with the trunk. Some elephants could even be trained to throw spears with their... I mean, that would be awesome to see. (laughs) (laughs) Largest land animal. And you can train it. This is what James is saying. Anything in the kingdom that God has created can train it. But you can't train the tongue. can't train the tongue. a wild thing, a restless evil filled with deadly poison. You know, words spoken to the media by a coach about players on the team causes dissension. Negative words spoken or written about your pastor or church leaders causes disunity in the church. We've seen this happen. Words have caused family feuds, divorces, wars. Church splits, good leaders having to step down, and bad leaders rising up to take power. Words cause damage. At the same time, words can also be powerful and encouraging and life-giving. Words spoken can help direct the course of your life. Think back to where maybe you were in your formative years and someone said something to you that just set your, your life on a course. Because they believed in you and they spoke it into your life. When I was 19, my, my pastor in my church, I was at Briarcrest and he came to visit me. And I remember very clearly sitting on the, the steps outside one of the buildings and, and he said, you know, Kimball, have you ever thought about being a pastor? I think it, you would be a good pastor. Have you ever considered going into vocational Christian ministry. And I was like, Florida, I was like, I never thought of that. I was just a farm kid, pretty naive, shy, to be in front of people. I was like, "Uh, I don't know, but he saw something or he made something up, (laughs) but I took it to heart. (laughs) I think he was sincere. And it set my, my life on a different direction. That's what words can do. They have power. The rest of Scripture does tell us that words can be used for good. Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Ephesians four twenty nine says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful... For building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There is a a benefit when you use your words correctly. Proverbs 31, verse 26, speaking of this this Proverbs 31 woman, this godly woman, it says, She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. I'd say this to, to parents and grandparents. The words that you say to children have impact. You build them up. Make sure they hear very clearly your words saying that you love them. That you are proud of them. It makes a difference. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When it comes to speaking or preaching the gospel, there's a familiar quote that's mistakenly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but um, it says this, you probably heard it. It says, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And I think the heart of that is good, but as Dwayne Lifton, he's the president emeritus of Wheaton College, he says this. He says, It's simply impossible. To preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal. And preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. And we've heard it already throughout this series in James. Is that our our deeds matter. They're not insignificant. They're evidence of our faith. It's important. And deeds may cause people to recognize that God is at work in us. But listen, lost people ultimately need to hear the message of the gospel. As Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. As he carries this on into understanding this, there's cursing and there's blessing. What's in the well? What's in the well? Verse 9 to 12, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So it gives this very clear rhetorical uh, question, which is the same as what he did uh, earlier when he says, can such faith save him? The the answer is, no. Can this happen? Should this happen? No. James addresses this horrible contradiction in, in what comes out of people's mouths. Praise and cursing. One commentator says this, for to curse someone is not just to swear at them, it's to desire that they be cut off from God and experience eternal punishment. Jesus prohibited His disciples from cursing others. Indeed, they were to bless those who curse you. What makes cursing particularly heinous is that the one whom we pronounce damned has been made in God's image. Simply put, it's this. This is what happens. Blessing and cursing. On Sunday, you say, praise Jesus. And on Monday, to a human that's made in God's image, to hell with you. He says this, he says, brothers, this ought not to be so. He uses brothers because, again, it's a term of endearment. He loves these people. He's pastoring their hearts. He says, I love you. And this is strong language. He says, I'm putting it in love. I'm speaking the truth to you in love. This should not be. This shouldn't be the picture of the church where we have people wonderfully gathered here on a Sunday and just thank you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus, and the next day the things that come out of our mouth don't reflect what we've said on Sunday. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of." Listen, the water from the source doesn't change. When you plant as a seed, nothing different comes up. There's not a different kind of produce that that you can expect to come from that seed. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And this is what James is saying. It's not not a matter of changing your your tongue, cutting your tongue off, becoming tongue-tied. He's saying it's what's in your heart. Your words are the barometer of your spiritual life. It reveals what's in your heart. So listen if there's bitterness that's in your heart, something's happened, something has taken root in your heart, and there's bitterness there, listen, it's only going to come out of your mouth. If there's anger, in your heart. It doesn't just sit quietly in the corner. It might kinda sit for a while, but eventually it comes out. If there's envy or jealousy in your heart, that often leads to gossip or slander, tearing other people down to build yourself up. If there's guilt or shame in your heart, it often leads to lies, Or even like half-truths. Someone said that half-truths are like half-bricks. They fly farther. We protect ourselves when we have shame or guilt, and we we protect ourselves, and it's often through lies. It comes out of our mouth. The instruction from James that we see here is not about washing out your mouth trying harder. He's been pretty clear. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. So who can? God can. This is a heart issue, and that's where God does his best work, in our hearts. So I'll ask you today as we close and we'll come to some application. Are you willing, are you willing to let God do some heart transformation in you? Because the tendency might be to just come out of this thinking, okay, I'm just gonna try harder. I'm not gonna say these words. I'm not gonna, you know, talk about this person like that. I'm gonna try to change my behavior but you ignore the heart issue. And that's what you have to deal with. So a few action items. So good about James. It's not just about words. It's not just about talk. Not just about faith. It's about action. What are you going to do when you're going to put some deed in your creed? And so here you go. So you start with a, a tough question. Ask yourself the hard question. Where have my words caused fire damage? Where have my words caused fire damage? Words that you've spoken, maybe to a child, maybe to your neighbor, co-worker, parent. Where have they caused damage? Secondly, then, what are you going to do about it? You're going to actively seek forgiveness. It's remarkable. I've I've heard uh, numerous times, even recently, about words that have been spoken like 20 years ago that caused damage, and nothing was done about it until, like, just recently, and then they, they say, you know what, I said something to you then, and I've regretted that ever since, and I've always wanted to say sorry. And I saw the damage that it did. But I want you to know now that I'm, I'm sorry for what I said. And it just brought healing. That's what happens when you, when you say sorry. When you ask for forgiveness, it brings restoration. it's the Christian way it's the way of Jesus we all stumble in many ways you're going to mess up but what are you going to do about it you're going to make it right seek forgiveness and so today some of you it just the the tendency is going to be just oh good sermon pass it on you might need to write a letter you might need to talk to someone in the parking lot today If God, if God is stirring that in your heart and saying, "You know what? You, what you said there, it's probably done some damage. Let's make it right." Third is is really the heart matter, and that is surrendering daily to the Spirit. Spirit's the one that's going to do the work in your heart, and so these. These psalms, are it's the word of God. Let it, let it wash over you. Let it be something that you speak, you pray daily. If this is something you recognize, okay, my words are causing damage. My words, I don't seem to have control of my tongue. And even if you think everything's good and in order, <laughs> these are good. Psalm 141, verse 3, it says, Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a pretty powerful picture, just like a soldier standing right at the door of your mouth. Watching everything that comes out. Nope. Hold up. <laughs> so, Holy Spirit, do that. Put a guard in front of my mouth. Don't let me say anything that I shouldn't say. In Psalm 19, verse 14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my hearts be acceptable. In your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you pray, God, let let the words that I say be pleasing to you. The meditation of my heart, let, let what you're doing in my heart, that let that be what comes out of my mouth. Again, we all stumble in many ways. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to change us. Let's pray.